And uh, I tell you, I just can't say enough of how much this man down here means to me personally and what a blessing he's been over the years and what he means to this church. And a lot of the folks perhaps aren't aware of the fact, but back in 1993, God used Dr. Williams in a very definite way to keep these doors open and keep this church going forward. And uh, we're very grateful to the Lord and we're grateful for Dr. Williams. So let's get our Bibles out. Let's really ask the Lord to speak to our hearts as he comes to preach. And I'm curious which one's the favorite. Okay, we'll find out. All right, we have a great crowd tonight, and I thank the Lord for each one of you. And uh, I tell you, it's just a blessing to uh, see folks' uh, new faces nearly every night. We have, we've had new visitors every night, and uh, of course, uh, uh, the faithful ones that are here all the time, appreciate them, of course. We've got six chalk drawings done uh, now, and, and I am kind of curious... Now, the reason I, listen, I want you to understand, the reason I did the deer is so that you'd know that I know what they look like. <laughs> just because I didn't get one last week, that doesn't mean I don't know what they look like. I know. It's just that I can't hit them. Okay. Now, uh, we would, I would like to find out which one are the favorites, so uh, look around at the, at the uh, six chalk drawings and... Uh, you pick out the one that you like the best and vote for that one. It would really be a help to me if you only voted for one of them instead of like some of you sneaky folks that vote for more than one. And uh, there's some of, uh, that vote for every one of them. But that doesn't help me any, all right? So uh, let's just do it in the order that I painted them. Uh, Sunday night we did the church there. How many like that one? The best for the week. Let me see your hands. 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, maybe 30. Okay, and then uh, we did the uh, cross on, the, on Monday night. How many like that one the best? Okay, we've got one, two, three, four, five. Okay, we've got five, maybe five and a half. I saw one like this, but I'm not really sure what that meant. But I think it was around five or six. And then uh, we did the grizzly bear there in the middle. Uh, how many like that one the best? Let me see your hands. Okay, we got uh, five, ten, fifteen, twenty. 25. All right, about 25 on that one. And then we did the uh, uh, the mountains in the stream there, uh, the second one from the end back there. I mean, like that one the best for the week. Okay. Have you all had your eyes checked lately? Okay, no, it's a beautiful picture. I'm just kidding with you. Okay, so we got five or six on that one. And then we did the one last night with the hourglass and, and uh, heaven. And, of course, uh, how many like that one the best? Okay, we've got several on that, about uh, seven or so. And then how many like this one the best? Let me see your hands. Ooh, all right. So we've got another. All right, so does that tell you the story? I don't remember which ones they were. But anyway, uh, I'm real pleased with the chalk drawings this week. Every, every year that I do uh, chalk drawings up here, uh, as you well know, uh, they're all new, new ones. All right, so I, I enjoy doing them, and I like to, you know, some of the stuff, and I like this one up here. And how many noticed the coon sticking out of the, okay, everyone in the front rows here, the, you in the back, you just, when you sit back there, you don't see everything. I'm sorry, but you don't. There's a coon in the, sticking his head out uh, the uh, knot hole there. That's the reason I did that knot hole, so we put a coon in there. I used to do a little bit of coon hunting with a, with a coon hunter named uh, June Paul. And uh, daughters sitting back there in the back, and uh, grandkids, and so forth, and great grandkids. But anyway, uh, I thought I'd just put that in there. Uh, I want to preach a message tonight that's uh, perhaps it'll be unusual. Uh, it's unusual to me uh, because it's the first time I've ever preached it. But it's going to be on the Book of Revelation. It's not going to be on a passage of the Book of Revelation. It's going to be on the Book of Revelation. And what we're going to attempt to do tonight is to go through from the beginning to the end of the book of Revelation. Now, don't expect me to get deep in anything. Uh, it's, obviously, I couldn't do that. But I want to give you an outline that will help you real quick, a quick outline. If you'll write these down, uh, there's seven points, seven points. Seven's a number of completion in the Bible, and so uh, if there's seven points to this message. And uh, if you'll write these down, leave a little space in between, and we'll give you some things that will take place during these, uh, during these points. And, 
by the end of this thing, you'll have a basic outline to the book of Revelation that uh, at least give you something that you can go on. Now, uh, obviously a great portion, about 14 or 15 chapters of the book of Revelation out of 22 chapters, 14 or 15 of them are given over to the, the great tribulation time. And uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because that's not, not what the message is going to be about. But uh, so there'll be, I'll just give you basics on that, and then, but we'll go from here. All right, here's, here's the outline that you just write these down. Number one is Christ's relationship to his church. And then put out beside that uh, 1-3. 1-3 is chapter 1 through chapter 3, okay? And uh, second, number two is Christ raptures his church. And that's chapter 4, out to the side, but chapter 4. And then number three is Christ, Christ, reward, Christ rewards his church, and that's chapter 5 through chapter 19. And then uh, the fourth one is Christ returns with his church, and that's chapter 19, out to the side. And then it's Christ, number five, is Christ reigns with his church, and that's chapter 20. And then uh, number six is Christ rests with his church. R-E-S-T, rests, you know. Uh, and that's chapter 21. And then in the final uh, point is Christ's reassurance to his church. And that's chapter 22. So that being said, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the message. Now, our Father, we, you know that, uh, that I need your help, and I pray that you would uh, uh, help us as we go through this, uh, uh, the outline here, and go through the message, and I pray that through it all that you would speak to hearts, and especially, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of those who are not ready, who are not ready to meet you, because it's inevitable that one day all will meet you in the judgment. So I trust, Lord, that uh, you'll speak to hearts tonight, convict of sin. I pray that uh, Christians will uh, realize that the, these days that we're going to be preaching on, it's, it's coming and it's coming soon. So we don't have much time, Lord. I see the fields, they're white and ready to harvest, and we need laborers that will go out in the field and gather up uh, the harvest. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to Christians uh, speak to the law, speak to my heart tonight, dear God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Book of Revelation, what a tremendous, what a wonderful book this is. Uh, it's fitting that God would, uh, uh, at the end of the Bible, the 66 books in the Bible, that he would end with, with this particular book. Because the Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's where it's at. The whole book, if you, if you look at it from that viewpoint, and that's the reason the outline, that's the reason I said we're not going to spend a lot of time on the tribulation. What we're doing is we're talking about Christ in this whole thing. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book's all about. It tells about Him. And so that's what the story is going to be tonight. We're going to just talk about the Lord. First of all, as the first point uh, that we gave you, uh, first of all, is Christ and his relationship with the church. And I want you to look at uh, chapter 1 as we uh, look down here. First of all, it says uh, in verse 3 uh, of chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So here is the, here's the blessing for those who will read and hear the words of this prophecy. If you just read this book, you say, well, I just can't understand it. Well, I think you see how simple it is to understand some of these things. Uh, you'll never grasp all of it. None of us are ever going to grasp the whole Bible because this is a divine book, and it takes a divine interpreter to do this. And so with our finite mind, there's no way that we're going to understand every jot and tittle of, the, of this uh, 66 books in the Bible. But you can uh, get a blessing if you'll just read this book, see. See, the devil's tried to keep us from reading it. He just says, well, it's a big mystery and nobody can understand, so don't read it, you see. But if God, that's just the opposite of what God says. He said, if you'll just read it, I'll bless you. Uh, I don't know about you. I like to get a blessing once in a while, don't you? 
Just get the book of Revelation out, read through that, uh, that thing, and, and see if God doesn't bless you with some important, some beautiful truths that, that perhaps you'd thought of. Uh, can't. Now, I don't have time to spend a lot of time doing all this extra talking, so I'm going to I'm gonna have to get to it if we're going to get done here tonight uh, by 12 o'clock. Okay, I'm, I'm hoping we can, we can keep this within our time frame. So anyway, here's John the Revelator. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled there because of his, uh, his, uh, uh, his witness for Christ and, and the fact that he was one of the, the, the final leaders there of uh, the Christian uh, uh, church. And so uh, he's here on the Isle of Patmos, isolated from everyone, and God looks down and he sees this lonely, this lonely prophet, this lonely apostle who has uh, been exiled for his cause. And God comes down and gives a special blessing to him. All at once he hears a voice. And it says, Behold, he cometh with the clouds. I'm looking in, in uh, verse uh, 7. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kindred of, of earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And then Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And so John uh, looks around and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ and, and this is what he sees as he turns around. He says in verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake to me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and uh, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. I wish you could get a vision of, of, the, of what John is revealing to us about Jesus Christ. Here he is in his glory, in his white robe and golden uh, girdle, and his hair is white as snow, and he, he has piercing eyes. And, he's, and where is he? He's in the midst of the golden candlesticks. Now he goes on to explain that these golden candlesticks represent, represent the church. And so we, we see, first of all, uh, that Christ is in the midst of these golden candlesticks. So the one thing that I can say is that Christ is in the midst of the church. Amen? So what I, when I use that first uh, uh, point, that uh, Christ's relationship with the church is that he's, number one, he is very close. He is the head of the church, number one. He is the head of the church according to the book of Ephesians. But he also, I want you to know that, that he wants a close relationship with the church. Now you'll notice that the candlesticks are individual candlesticks. And he's in the midst of them. There was a time, I studied the, uh, the tabernacle. And there was a time when I thought that the candelabra that was in the, uh, in the tabernacle that uh, was on the, on the one side, the showbread on one side and the, and the candlesticks on the other, uh, that was made out of, uh, out of gold and all beaten in one piece of gold, uh, I, I was thinking, okay, now we move this over to the book of Revelation, and what, he's, what we're seeing here is Christ and this candelabra, which is a picture of, of Christ. And, uh, but then all at once it dawned on me, no, that's not the picture that, that John gives us here. It's very specific. He says that, the, that, the, uh, uh, that he's in the midst of the seven candlesticks, likened to the Son of Man, in verse 13 I'm reading, and clothed with a garment down to the foot. So he's in the midst of them. So what I see is that Christ is a focal point and the center of the church. He is the head of the church, but he's also uh, a, has a close, intimate relationship. The second thing I see is that these are individual candlesticks, which speaks to me of ind independent churches, you see. Not a conglomerate of churches, but independent churches here and there. And then he goes on to explain that in the following chapter, and he names those particular churches that each one of those candlesticks uh, represent. So Christ is in the center of his church. And that's something we need to, uh, to, to uh, uh, say hallelujah about, is that Christ does not leave us nor forsake us. And whether two or three are gathered together in the midst, Christ is going to be in the center. Amen? So we see that his relationship with the church, first of all, it's a com he has a common bond with all of them uh, for fellowship. He wants to be a part of it. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And he is the head of the church. The second thing is, we look in, in chapter 4. Chapter 4, I said, is the, the, the second point, which is Christ raptures his church. 
word rapture is not found in the Word of God, but the, uh, what it represents is. And what it represents is rapture is a calling out. And there is going to be a calling out. We see that a picture of it in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, uh, it says in verse 1, he said, after this, after what? After he's dealt with each one of the churches, and by the way, each church that was mentioned in chapter 3 uh, is a representative of the, uh, of, uh, the church ages, the different things that have taken place throughout the church age for the past 2,000 years, even up through the Reformation. And so each one of those. It's interesting to note that in the very last of chapter 3, we see the, the, uh, uh, what has taken place, the result of the churches that have been moving aside. You remember that all those churches that he mentioned in, in uh, uh, you know, Sardis and Ephesus and all those, uh, the ones that he mentioned specifically, he always, he gave, he, he bragged on them, on the good things they did, but then he said, Where, uh, however, uh, I have somewhat against you, and then he starts naming the things. And the things that are against them when the final church age ends up in chapter 3, we find Christ not in the midst of his churches, but outside the door. Notice in verse verse, uh, 20 of chapter 3, this is the condition of the church in the last days right before Jesus comes and takes out his church. All right? Here it is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and will sup with him and he with me. Some people have taken that as an invitation uh, to open the door of your heart and let Jesus come in. It's okay to use that as an illustration, but that's not the meaning of it. The meaning of it is that the church has so deteriorated and so backslid and has gone into apostasy to the point where uh, Christ is no longer welcomed in the church. See, that's the tragedy, and that's the tra- we're seeing it today, where the mainline denominations have, have, uh, are no longer steadfast in the faith. That's why Jude tells us that we need to earnestly contend for the faith, because it's a, there's going to be a time, and even Jesus uh, uh, mentioned that back in the New Testament in the Gospels, where he said, will the Son of Man find faith when he returns? See? And so that's a picture of it right there. Then all at once it says, and after this, verse, four, or verse 1 of chapter 4, after this I looked and behold, a door opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither. Now if you go to the, of, uh, uh, go to the uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 and through there, you find uh, the picture of the rapture of the church. This is a, another picture of it, another telling of it. And, uh, but in 1 Thessalonians it says that the, first, the, the trump of God will sound, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and uh, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. That's the rapture of the church. That's our, our second point. Christ raptures his church. Now, why does he rapture the church? The reason he takes his church out, and when I say church, I'm not talking about the Baptist church or the Catholic church or the Lutheran church or the, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those who have been born again by the Spirit of God who have truly, truly experienced the new birth, you see. I'm not talking about religious people, people who, who are basing their, uh, their, uh, uh, their salvation upon just the, the good works. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. So you can't get to heaven through your good works. You get to heaven through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, receiving him as your personal Savior, and he born you into the family of God. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's where salvation is. So here we have, am I going too fast for anybody? I'm going too fast for me, okay? All right, I need some water, I know that. The one day that they don't have water down here is the day I need it. There goes Brother Stu, he'll get it for me. All right, so why is, why is the rapture taking place? Why does God call out the church, those who have been born again by the Spirit of God, who are indwelled by the Spirit of God? Why is that? The reason is because there is a, he's got some unfinished business with the nation of Israel. And so he has to deal with this, and he doesn't want to deal with it with the, the believers. 
There, the, the believer is not appointed to wrath, speaking of the great tribulation. And so Jesus calls out his saints. They go up and they're chained in the moment, twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and they're taken up into heaven. Now, there'll be some things that'll happen up there. We'll get into that in just a moment. But uh, uh, down on earth, there's some things that's happening too. And what's happening is what's called Jacob's trouble. This is when Israel is going to be dealt with and, and uh, uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel is going to be, uh, take place. This is the great tribulation. This is a time when there will be uh, seven seals that will be opened. Each one is going to have, have a, uh, bring a catastrophe, catastrophe upon the earth. Uh, there will be seven trumpets. There will be seven vials. All these things are going to be the, the trouble that's going to come to this earth. People are going to cry out to the rocks to kill them, and they won't be able to die. It's going to be an awful time. It will be a time when the Antichrist comes in power. Thank you, Brother Stu. I appreciate it. It'll be a time when the Antichrist comes in power and the beast and the pro- false prophet. Uh, it's going to be a time when, when uh, uh, all hell is going to break loose on this earth. You see, right now the Holy Spirit through the believers is, uh, is holding back, is holding back all the evil. And you say, well, he's not doing a very good job. No, we're not doing a very good job. That's where the problem is. But uh, the point is this, that when the Holy Spirit through the, and the believers are taken out of this world, what's going to take place? Uh, I mean, everybody is going to revert to that old nature. Nothing's going to be restraining them. And you can read about it in Second Thessalonians. But the point is that, that, uh, that everything is, is going to just fall apart. It's going to be chaos around the world. There's going to be a, a, a wondering, well, where did all these people go? What happened? Why, why did the whole churches, there were certain churches, all over, everybody, just about everybody uh, are, is gone. What happened to them? And this chaos is going to bring upon, upon the world, uh, along with uh, uh, the Antichrist and everything, is going, to, is going to be one of the worst periods of time in the world's history. It's going to be so bad that even the elect would be fooled and the elect would not even make it through if it were not uh, God's intervention. And so during this, uh, this period of time, the rapture of the church takes place. Here's all this tribulation period going on. And finally uh, the Antichrist takes over and is, you know, he has got his power and everything. And now, now we change scenes and we're going back into heaven. Because our third point is Christ rewards his church. While all this turmoil is taking place down the earth, something is happening up in, in heaven. All the saints have gathered together up there. I'll get to see mom and dad again. Amen. They'll be waiting for me up there. My brother and my sister and, and uh, my grandkids and all my friends that have trusted Christ as their Savior, we're all going to meet up there and have a hallelujah time. All of us will be rejoicing. But there's some other things that's going to take place. I said Christ rewards his church. There's a thing that takes place called the judgment seat of Christ. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's not to, to judge somebody as to whether they're saved or lost. That's already been settled. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life, you see. So uh, the rapture of the church has taken all the Christians out. So all the lost are left on the earth, and all the saved are in heaven at this point. And now Christ is going to deal with the, how we lived our life down here, whether it was good or bad. Our works are going to be checked. And if it's good works, then uh, our rewards are going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. If it's bad works, if, we, if the things that we've done have been uh, self-gratifying and for self and to lift up self, then uh, those things are going to be wood, hay, and stubble. They're going to be tested with fire. And if they're wood, hay, and stubble, it'll all be burned up. Your rewards will be burned up. Your works are burned, and your rewards, you get none. That's going to be a tragic time. A lot of you Christians, you sitting out there, you go to church uh, once or twice a month, and, and uh, seldom show up uh, in special meetings. And uh, you think that you're doing your bit for God, and you think that uh, you know God's going to just pat you on the head and say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." I got news for you. I'm sorry, but that's not what's going to happen. You're going to stand there at the judgment seat of Christ. Christ is going to be asking you some questions, and He'll already know the answers. He'll say, "Okay, let's look at your works," and He's going to flash 
some fire, and uh, all your works are going to go up in a puff of smoke, wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble. Does that mean you're lost? No. It means you've lost your rewards. You're still in heaven, but you've lost your rewards. Read the scriptures there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So anyhow, as I say, we can't spend a lot of time on that. That's one thing about preaching a, a message like this. You can't spend a lot of time in detail. You just have to keep on moving. And so we've, uh, we've moved in. There's something else takes place up there. It's in, it's in uh, chapter 19 uh, in verse 9. It talks about it. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know. There's just something about the word supper. I like that. I just sort of like that. I don't know whether it's just I like eating or I like supper, but I, I do like both, you know. But the Mary's Supper of the Lamb, well, that's going to be a time, isn't it? It's going to be a time when, when all of God's people are going to gather around the supper table, you know, and, and uh, uh, there's going to be a time of fellowship and the rewards have already been passed out and everybody will be just uh, hugging and, and enjoying one another's fellowship and everything. That's what's going to be taking place up here in heaven while all this turmoil and all this great tribulation is going on down below and, and the moon will turn to blood and, and uh, all, a third of the people will be slain and it just, uh, oh, what a horrible place it's going to be down here on this earth. The locusts will be emptied out into the, onto the earth from the deep pit. They'll have the scorpion's tail. They'll be able to sting. They'll be as big as dogs and cats and, uh, and uh, animals. They're going to uh, demons. They're, it's going to be a terrible time down here on this earth. I don't know about you. I don't want to be here when that takes place. And I won't, thank God. Not because I'm so good, but because in 1962 I trusted Christ as my Savior. So now we go to, to, the, to the next point, and that's number, number four. And that is Christ returns with his church. If you'll go to chapter 19 of your Bible, we read about that. And we'll read just a couple of verses here. Uh, I'm looking in, in verse 11 and through uh, 16. And John, uh, uh, John is telling this, and he says, And I saw heaven open. Now, remember, what's in heaven? Christ in heaven with his church. He has had the judgment seat of Christ. The marriage supper of the Lamb has taken place now, but now something else has got to happen. He's got to deal with what's taking place down on the earth. You've got to remember that the Jews are God's chosen people. That's never changed. Nothing has changed about the Jews. They're still God's chosen people. And he has to deal with them. And he has to, he has to save them. Huh? Uh, we won't get into that part of it, but, but uh, look in verse 11, verse, uh, down through verse 16. It says, And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse. And, and, and he that sat upon, uh, upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knoweth but him himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. No question about who that is, is it? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus, no, uh, none other. Verse 14, the armies in which, were, uh, which were in heaven followed him upon white horses and clothed in fine linen, white and clean. You got that? You don't like to ride horses? You better get used to it. You're here and you're a believer. I want you to understand you're going to be coming in on a white horse, a side saddle or whatever. You're going to be on it. Maybe just laying across it. I don't know. Verse 15, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Now, what's, what's taking place here? This is called the Battle of Armageddon. You always hear about the Battle of Armageddon. Everybody, oh, the Battle of Armageddon. We're not going to be here in the Battle of Armageddon, except we're going to be coming in on white horses, and we're going to watch it all take place before us, and we won't even have to uh, swing a fist. Isn't that great? Great sword's going to come out of his mouth, and he's going to take care of all this. It says, in, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it, uh, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vestures and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There it is. And the, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, to all the fowl that fly in the midst of the heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. 
all the flesh that's going to be killed, everything, every, uh, all those that uh, were in the army of Satan and the Antichrist are going to be slain, and it's going to provide a feast for all the vultures and all the, uh, uh, those who, uh, uh, all the animals that uh, uh, eat uh, flesh and so forth. And that's verse 14. So now what has taken place? All right, you have the, you have the Antichrist, and you have, you have the devil, the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet. Those three. Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. And so God, now he's got to deal with these guys. And this is what it says in verse 19. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies, and they gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had uh, received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. And these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and, uh, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which uh, uh, sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So here's the beast of the false prophet God has taken care of. He has slain put, or taken and thrown them alive into the, into the lake of fire. Does the lake of fire really exist? I tell you it does. According to the word of God, it does. Later on, we'll see where the, these two are still, a thousand years later, are still in the lake of fire, still alive, still suffering the torments of an eternal fire. There is such a place as the lake of fire. You can, you can block it out of your mind. You can say, I just don't think a loving God would ever do that. You can just say whatever you want to. It's not going to change what this book says. All right? Now, okay, that takes care of two of the unholy trinity, but there's still the devil. And so now we read in verse 1 of chapter 20, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. Boy, he doesn't leave any, anything to your imagination, does he? He tells you exactly who he's talking about. And he binds him a thousand years and casts him into the bottomless pit and shuts him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. After that, he must be loosed a little season. So now we have the beast, the false prophet, and Satan taken care of. Beast, the false prophet, in the lake of fire. Satan is in the bottomless pit, uh, chained where he'll never be able to get out for a thousand years. And... Uh, now what takes place? What takes place is, uh, uh, is Christ, uh, what they call the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So now we have uh, uh, some things that are taking place there. We have uh, for uh, your number five is Christ reigns with his church. Throughout the scriptures, you find that, that Christ, uh, that, uh, that uh, David's seed will reign upon the throne of David. And Christ is the seed of David, and he will reign now for a thousand years upon the seed of David, the throne of David. That's what the Jews have been waiting for, is for the Messiah to come and reign on the, the throne of David. And so the, he reigns with, number one, a rod of iron. It's a rod of righteousness. There's not going to be any of this stuff that, uh, uh, where people who are, who are guilty get off because uh, uh, they have a lot of money and they're able to buy their way out. It's not going to be like that. This is going to be a time when the, the lion and the lamb will lay down together and there won't be any deer hunting. No, nope. sorry about that, Jerry. Preacher, you better get him today because there's not going to be any deer hunting during the millennium. And then at the end of a thousand years, Satan is going to be loosed. Now we get to the battle of Gog and Magog. And then the great white throne judgment. Well, we're in chapter 20 now. In chapter 20, uh, verses 7 through 10, we have uh, where Satan is loosed. In uh, verse 11 through 15, we have the great white throne. Great white throne. Well, let's go back there into the great white throne judgment. In chapter 20, verse 11, and uh, it says this. Oops, I got too far over there. Verses 11 through 15, And I saw a great white throne, 
And him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's probably going to, that's going to be one of the saddest times in the history of the world will be the great white throne judgment. I believe, that, I believe that Christians are going to be there. I believe they're going to be there behind the throne. And as each individual is brought up before the throne of God and, and his name is checked to see if his name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life and, and, uh, uh, where, uh, and the books are open and he's judged according to his works and everything, I believe that the Christians are going to be standing back there and uh, they're going to see loved ones, loved ones that they could have witnessed to but didn't, they're going to see loved ones that they did witness to, but they didn't get saved. They're going to see friends and people that uh, they've had uh, uh, contact with that, that, that they never gave the gospel out. And it's going to be a sad time for a lot of Christians. It's going to be sadder for those who never trusted Christ when they were here on this earth and had the opportunity. Because this is not to determine whether they're lost or saved. The great white throne judgment is to determine what degree of punishment they shall get. Some with few stripes and some with many stripes, as the scripture says back in the New Testament. It's how, it's, it's guys like Hitler and, and, uh, and Saddam Hussein and his sons and some of these characters that are going to be in the deeper depths of punishment in hell than some of the others that uh, uh, were not as, uh, you know, as what we would say is bad. So it's going to be a terrible time uh, at the great white throne judgment. It's going to be a sad time for many Christians, as I say, as, as they watch this all take place. And so I think it's fitting that after the great white throne, after all the judgment is, is done, and the last person is cast in the lake of fire, that God says this in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Well, I'm glad of that. I don't know about you. Like I say, it's going to be a tragic thing. Oh, there it is. It's going to be tragic. But we must realize that everyone has had an opportunity. They can look at the heavens and they can see that there is a God. Now, people just block it all out and say, well, I just don't think, you know, I think we just got here by evolution, that we just some little, you know, uh, I, I just think a big bang happened, you know, and everything happened. To, but uh, see, that doesn't answer all the questions that are thrown out, like where did all the matter come that spoke of bang? You know, where did that come from, you know? And where did the bang come from to begin with? You know, just a whole lot of different things. But the point is that, that there's going to come a time when God is going to dry the tears from the eyes. And there shall be no more death, and neither sorrow nor crying, and neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And, he's, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things, all things new. Well, here we have, we come down to the, to the church's rest. The church, Christ rests with his church. After the great white throne judgment, we will be going into eternity, into an eternity where we'll have rest. The, uh, David said this uh, back in the, in the book of Psalms. <clears throat> he says, uh, uh, let's see. I'm trying to read my scribbled notes. David said... Uh, Wherever the Lord is, this is what he said, wherever the Lord is, this is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. We have rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he leaves us with this, this, this thought that uh, uh, there's going to come a time. We're supposed today, you know, while we have light, while there's light, we're supposed to be working today. We're not to be weary and well-doing. We're supposed to be getting the job done. But there will come a time when all the work's going to be completed. 
Everything that needs to be done is going to be done, and we're all going to be set back, be able to sit back, and Christ and his church will rest. It's fitting that, that the seventh point is Christ's reassurance to his church, and that's found in chapter 22. I like this because uh, sometimes we, we get it in our head that, well, all this is going to take place maybe someday, or we'll say, well, it's going to take place, but, you know, maybe it might be 20 years, it might be 1,000 years. We don't know when it's going to be, and the truth is we don't. All we know is that, that the Bible's true and it's going to happen. Someday it's going to take place. But what he says here in, in uh, chapter 22, in verse 7, is this. Behold, I come quickly. Well, that's not the only time that he says that. He, here he's, he's, uh, uh, he's trying to, this is his last message. In the last chapter, the last book of the last book of the Bible, this is his message to us. And he's telling us that, that he's coming quickly. When he comes, it'll be quick. And it also speaks of, uh, it's not going to be that long. Oh, sure, there's going to be those who, who say, well, been, you've been talking about that for years and it's never happened. But that doesn't change the fact that it's going to happen. And God doesn't measure time like we do. To him, a thousand years is a day, and a day of a thousand years. He doesn't measure time like we do. But I just know that, that I, can almost, I can almost hear the shout. Maybe that's, maybe that's Gabe up there wetting his lips, getting ready to blow the trumpet. I don't know, but it's, it's, I think it's just right on the verge of taking place. All these events that's going to take place, I think is, is so close that we need to be aware of it. He says in verse 7, I come quickly, but that's not the last time in chapter 22, and, and we're looking in verse 12 now, and he says, uh, verse 12 through 21, uh, I may not read all of them, but I'm going to read a good portion of it. Uh, verse 12 says, uh, and behold, I come quickly, there it is again, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his works shall be. I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. For, for without are dogs and sorcerers and oarmongers and, and murderers and adulterers and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. There's his last invitation to man. Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago as a little babe. He grew up in a family setting. There came a time when he was 30 years old or so that, that uh, he entered into his public ministry. He came for one purpose. That one purpose was to fill the Father's will. And the Father's will was that he give his life a ransom for all. His Father's will was that he be that sacrifice, that acceptable sacrifice. So Jesus' life was an absolutely perfect life. There was no spot, no blemish. Every sacrifice that was given was to be given. It was to be an animal with, with not a blemish. Not anything wrong with it. Couldn't have a broken leg. Couldn't have a sore on it. It had to be in absolutely perfect condition. And so was Jesus, who is the propitiation for our sin. And not ours only, but for the sin of the whole world. He was that perfect sacrifice that God the Father accepted. You know how I know he was accepted? When Jesus died on the cross and they placed him in a borrowed tomb for three days and three nights. I know he was an accepted sacrifice because God the Father raised him up out of that grave, rose again after three days and three nights in the bell of the earth. And Jesus now is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father where he intercedes for you and I who have been born again by the Spirit of God. Now, you're here tonight and you're not saved. What's the message for you tonight? Well, the message is simple. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. And the last message he gives to you from this book here, he says, I come quickly, 
In other words, don't put this thing off because I, it's not going to be that long before all these things are going to be fulfilled. And so I ask you, he says, whosoever will take of the water of life may take it freely. Come, take the water of life freely. Will you come? Will you be willing to let Jesus Christ born you into the family of God? Jesus himself said to a fellow that was very religious, knew his Bible better than I do, most likely could quote a lot more scripture than I. But the one thing that he didn't have that I have was the Spirit of God. He did not have the new birth. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must. There's no way to get to heaven except through the new birth. Well, there you have it, folks. You have seven points there that takes you through the book of Revelation. If you have any comments or any, any uh, questions on it uh, about verses and so forth, I have them written down here, scribbled down, really. Uh, you can ask me after the service. But right now, the most important thing for you is to, what is God speaking to me about today? The Christian, maybe God is saying to you, you know, You've been wanting to do something for me for, for years, and yet you keep putting it off tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow now. But since I'm going to come quickly, maybe you ought to get it done today instead of putting it off. To the lost, he's just simply saying, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God wants to do a work in your life if you'll let him. He'll do it. If we can have these lights out, I'll show this chalk drawing. Oh, heaven is a beautiful place. I look forward to that day when we'll see Jesus face to face. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. I look forward to that day. Walking the streets of gold. I don't know what heaven looks like. I just, I just have a feeling that 
that everything that that uh, every geometric uh, figure that uh, is imaginable will probably be incorporated in his architecture. It's going to be a beautiful place. That's all I know for sure. And all I'd like for every one of you to, to go there with me. There's some of you out there and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You know it. You know it. You've been relying upon your church membership or just being a good person. That's what you're relying on. Well, I'm doing the best I can, and that's what you'll say. Well, my friend, it has nothing to do with doing what you, doing the best you can. Jesus told some people who came up and said, hey, we did the best we could. Hey, we, we prophesied in your name, and we even cast out demons. We did all these wonderful works in your name. And Jesus said, depart from me. Ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. I never knew you. I noticed he didn't say, I used to know you, but now I don't. He said, I never did know you. They had done all these good works, but it wasn't enough. The reason it wasn't enough is because all your good works does is, you know, it just doesn't do nothing. Your good works don't do anything for your spiritual condition. Your spiritual condition must be taken care of spiritually. And that comes whenever you receive Christ, then the Holy Spirit does the rest. He comes into your life, comes into your body, and indwells you and seals you to the day of redemption and borns you into the family of God. You become a member of the church. And that's what we've talked about, is Christ and his church, and Christ and his church, and the rapture and his relationship. All those things has to do with the church. Every one of those points had to do with the church. Don't you know? Are you a part of the church? Have you been born again? That's the most important question that you need to ask yourself right now. Has there been a time in my life when I saw myself lost on my way to a devil's hell? And I said, oh, God. Now, you don't, didn't have to say these words exactly, but you know what I'm talking about. And you said, oh, God, I know I'm lost. And I'm on my way to hell, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and save me. The old publican smote his breast and just cried out, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God saved him. 